Well, hello again, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm your host for the show, and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you for uh, meeting us here in this digital space, and uh, we pray that uh, it's serving you well, that you are uh, learning new things, that you're being inspired to grow in your faith, or maybe even to begin your faith, maybe for the very first time. And so if that's you, uh, would you reach out to us if you are uh, just now sort of stepping into faith for the very first time or in a new way? Uh, you can do that by going to our now page. It's lifechurchcanton.org now. And at the top of that page, there's a button that says connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out whenever you get a chance. It helps us to be able to connect with you and help you take your next steps um, with the church and even in ways to to volunteer um, and to get involved with some other things that we have going on. Uh, also, if you have never given to Life Church or to any church for that matter, uh, but, but you would like to, uh, what you do when you give is you actually impact uh, the work that we get to be a part of at this church. And so I would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to Life Church as well. And right next to that button where it says Connect Card is another button that says Give. Click on that. You can learn about how your giving makes an impact, but also you'll see very simple instructions for the different ways in which you can give. Uh, we're in a sermon series on the Letter to the Galatians, um, and that is going to be a message given by Pastor Nathan McWhorter. So enjoy. Thank you for joining us in worship. Um, that is a powerful word that you just prayed again. Hasten my ears, bridle my tongue, focus my heart to hear. Settle my pace, purge me of pride. Um, I hope we take that into our message today. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you here, especially if you're new. And I won't. I met some new people for the very first time today. I'm not going to stare meaningfully at them or ask them to stand or anything like that. I just want you guys to know that uh, you belong here and that you uh, experience God, that you encounter Jesus, that there's something about the worship or the message or the time together that helps you experience the God of the universe who loves you and cares for you and wants to know you. I am grateful for the season that we're in, and I'm wearing my bright orange shoes in uh, support of Team World Vision, so uh, I hope that you will uh, text that and, and find out more information. We're in a series called Galatians, which is actually a book of the Bible. And in Galatians, it's a letter written from a guy named Paul to the church. And he's actually like being a bit mean in it. And I want, if you're new to this, or if maybe you're not even a Christian and you're joining on us uh, with us online, like this is something where there's a corrective uh, measure being, uh, you know, presented. Why? Because they found this freedom in Jesus Christ, these Gentiles who are not Jewish people. They found this freedom in Christ. They've been saved from their sins and everything, and he's left them, and then someone came in and said, no, you got to do all these things to be good, and one of them is a circumcision, and they believed them and went back to it. So he's kind of rebuking. If you want to know more about this, you can uh, check out the other messages we have in this series in Galatians. We're going to pick it up in three, but I, I want you to know that this letter feels like a bit of exposure, meaning if you were to hear this letter written to you, to us as the church, it would feel a little like, that hurts. You would feel exposed. It would reveal some of the things that are going on inside of us that are not good. And that is never a fun experience. If anyone's lived through an intervention, it's not 
fun to be exposed. If anyone's been confronted or had the talk, you know, with, with your significant other, it is not a fun experience. And so that's a little bit about what's happening to us right now, that there were some rifts in our church, in the church in America as a whole. There were some issues in the pandemic and, and the, the political uh, realm and the racial realm that we're living in right now is like a magnifying glass on, on what? Something of the brokenness that was already there, exposing division, exposing that. And our response many of the times is to try to prove that we are right. So our response is to say like, hey, no, don't, don't tell me where I'm wrong. I want to be right. And we do that on social media. We do that in our interactions with people. We, we want to be right and we want to protect ourselves. And we've been talking about that theme quite a bit. One of the things I said in a message, I think almost a year ago right now, is we desire, especially on social media, to be right. Anyone here not like being right? Yeah, no one's hand went up because everyone likes being right. Instead of treating people with righteousness, meaning treating each individual you ever interact with, even if they're behind a keyboard, as if, because they are, created by God and have internal value just by existing. But we want to be right, not righteous. And we're learning, and we're making mistakes, and we're trying to learn that the, the things that are being exposed in us as a church, God has something to say about them, and he wants to help us move through. So church, I'm going to ask you again, can we, all of us, staff, people here, can we commit to uh, being righteous, not right, all right? Can you guys commit to that? And this is a time where you would verbally say yes. Can you commit to being righteous, not right? Yes, okay. I feel like we have to be reminded every single day of that. So thank you for a little bit of exposure and uh, allowing yourself to be taught by the word of God. I want to tell you a little story. Um, I was in the Air Force, and we have something called basic military uh, training. We have drill instructors. We call them MTIs. And while you're there, their job is to break you down, like to make you feel horrible. Like that's their job, to break you down, to build you back up. And it's a, it's a terrible experience. Like it's also really good because it teaches you things, and it teaches you about like, hey, how to follow orders and how to have respect for people and all of these things. But they have to kind of bring everybody down to the same base and build them back up. And what part of that is this, rit this ritualized everything. And when you went to go eat, even when you ate, you had to like stand in line in a certain distance and you had to present in a certain way and get your food and walk around and sit down and eat. And you had like three minutes to eat so you would learn how to wrap things together and just shove it down your mouth and eat as fast as possible. And the whole entire time, it was not like a fun environment. There was no talking, nothing. And if you did anything wrong, you were gonna get accosted by the drill instructors. In fact, one time I came in and I had no idea what was going on, but someone had come down the line and when you come down the line to get your food, there is this table and all the drill instructors, not just from your flight, but every flight sit there and eat and it's called the snake pit. And when you go down to it, they will look at you and they will find something wrong. And if you're one of the poor sods who does something wrong and you get pulled in front of them, you don't have one drill instructor in your face. You could have eight to 10 of them all taking turns, creatively making you feel like a piece of like 
trash. Like, and so as I'm coming down and I'm getting food, I start hearing, they caught someone. And already I'm like, ooh, at least it's not me, right? Like they caught someone. And uh, this one drill instructor was like in this guy. I had, to this day, I have no idea what he did. But he said something, and he's like going after boom, boom, boom. And he goes, you must have lost your mind. And he goes, you know what? You need to go find it. And, and he's like, so go around. I don't know where your mind is. Go find it. Call out for it. So he made this poor guy walk around this chow hall calling for his mind. Mind, where are you? I can't find you. And they'd be like, we can't hear you. Your mind's really hard. You're hard of hearing. Speak up. And then they would point out places and they literally have to like go out and be like, I'm sitting there eating, trying not to laugh. And he's going, mind, mind, where are you, mind? And I'm here. And if I laugh, I'm in trouble. And it's one of these moments where you're just like, what is happening? And everyone's trying not to laugh, but it is like the most degrading thing that this person has experienced. It was a, a unique experience. You must have lost your mind. Time to go find it. Galatians 3.1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You foolish Galatians, you have lost your mind. I'm going to help you find it. It's a hard word, foolish. I looked it up because I'm thinking, okay, is this just our translation? No, Paul is telling these Galatians that you are stupid, unintelligent, without understanding, ignorant. The word kind of sometimes means hypnotized. You've been hypnotized by these people who have told you these new things. And if Theodore, my son, who's five, was in here, he'd be like, Dad, Dad, Paul, Paul, don't call people stupid, right? You're not allowed to call people stupid. And Paul might respond with, stupid is as stupid does. He's not saying that they lack the insight, that they lack the understanding, that they're lacking in their mental capacities. No, they're choosing to be foolish. Have you lost your mind, Galatians? Now, it's easy to watch from afar like I did, and hear someone getting rebuked. But it's not fun for me to be rebuked. And this whole book, I said this in the very first time we preach on this in Galatians 1, it's all a fiery rebuke. It is laced with sarcasm and like no other letter in the entire book. And you're like, are, are, are Christians supposed to talk like this? Well, Paul does. And he, he's being aggressive. Why? Because of the fierce grace that Paul received. And if we go back to these rules and regulations to follow Jesus, if this is what we have to do, we have to earn it, then Paul, Paul would never be able to earn it, and neither would I, because Paul killed people. And because of his fierce grace, he's bringing a fiery, fiery rebuke to them, meant to jolt them like snapping the fingers in front of someone who's been hypnotized. Wake up. Jesus Christ and his crucifixion is before you. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He said, remember, remember that it's Jesus Christ dying. That's the basis of your faith. You could not deserve it. And yet, because of him, you receive it. Remember, 
Remember, he's focusing them back in. Nothing you could ever do would allow you to earn what you could never receive on your own. This is what it's about. Verse 2. And then he keeps going. I just need to know one thing. This is what he said. I, just answer me this. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Answer me this question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? He's saying, remember the cross? Now, tell me, did you receive salvation by works, by law, by rules? No, you didn't. You received by believing in Jesus. When he talks about the Spirit, it's grace and not by works. The law has only condemned, but grace has given life. And then he says, now look, the Spirit, you remember? Now he's referring to something, something that's inside of them, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that we were given, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, part of the Trinity. Jesus worked all of his miracles through the Spirit, and then when we believe in him, we are given the Spirit. And he's reminding them, like, you have the Spirit inside of you. You didn't earn that either. It was given to you. He's reminding them. It's a, it's a rhetorical device. Have you lost your mind? Pay attention. You didn't receive this by works. You received it. In. And I want to focus in on the Spirit. I want to focus in on the Holy Spirit. I want us to pay attention because the Holy Spirit is what drew you to salvation. The moment you said yes to Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit drawing you in. And if you are in the room and you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit is drawing you towards salvation. That is his job. And then once you receive him, he transforms you and does miracles in your life and transforms the motivations of your heart. That is the Spirit's role. And he's reminding him, remember the Spirit, remember what God is doing as he regenerates and cleanses us daily. Verse 3. <clears throat> Did you receive the, the Spirit by works or law? Uh, verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He's saying, look, it wasn't the law who did it. It was God inside of you. And that's how you started this race. The Galatians started that way. And then they came in and said, no, you've got to be a good Jew first. So get circumcised and do these laws. It's returning back to what never could save them in the first place. It's a logical flaw. He set them up to say, hey, you're, you're not thinking right. Think, Galatians, think. If you know the reference, you might know that reference. You receive something by grace, and now you're trying to earn it retroactively. I want to tell you a story uh, about my own experience. I was at a, a, a conference, and at the conference we were there, and we were doing these moments where we were supposed to sit in the room, and then we were going to go out and do like a Stations of the Cross, which just means like walk through with someone, confession and all these kinds of things to help you encounter Jesus. It was a great experience. But the first thing was, okay, everybody, stay in the room until you hear from God what the thing is you need to work on. So what is a sin issue in your life or something that's broken that you need help with? And I had my list of all the things I had done wrong in my head. And he said, but don't just pick one. Wait. 
And I remember waiting on God and, and thinking, like, God, what, what do you want to work on? All these lists of things, like all the things that I've done, and I don't deserve what you've given me. I'm in this moment of, like, like brokenness before him, and I'm saying, like, I have this amazing wife. I'm about to have a kid. I have a full-ride scholarship to seminary. I'm working at a church. These things, I don't, I felt this deep understanding. I deserved none of it. And he said to me, yeah, the sin you need to work on is pride. And I'm like, have a what? Pride. Did you not just hear my eloquent prayer to you, O God of the universe, that I am a lowly worm? Like, right? Like, I was in this moment of like, I don't have pride, God? Which is ironic, because even the statement of that is, uh, is an issue when you're telling the God of the universe what you know that he doesn't. But I'm sitting there, and I'm having this encounter with him, and I start playing through. These are the things that that I have that you've given me that I don't deserve. And here's the problems that I have that we should be talking about. And I said, God, I don't deserve what you've given me. How could it be pride? And he said, like, very clearly to me, he says, yes, but you think you can deserve them someday. You are trying to retroactively earn the gift and grace I have given you. And it crushed me because it was so true. It's a logical pride. I thought that I could earn the grace that I received at the cross of Jesus Christ, and I couldn't. I can't. I never will be able to. They tried, in Galatians, they tried to retroactively earn the grace they had been given by stepping back into rules that could never save them in the first place. Don't we do that sometimes? What's our logical flaw? Maybe it's something like that. Or I asked my staff this week, a couple of them, what's our logical flaw? What's our problem? What would Paul expose inside of us? And I'll just read these out because I think they were really good. He said, politics is a big one. The logical flaw is God will only change this country if we elect the right officials or get the correct bills passed. Or for students, the flaw is that they can't participate in what God is doing in adult church until they graduate. Or students, if they pick the wrong career, you're going against God's will and he'll never use you for the rest of your life. Another said this, I think we want Christianity to give us the American dream. We had a transaction with God and received the swipe card of salvation. We said the prayer, and now God owes us a happy, comfortable, consumeristic Christian life. We deserve it because we chose Christ, and salvation costs us nothing because Jesus gave it to us freely. Our faith begins, right, starts with Christ on the cross, but continues on to us being critics on the couch, celebrating cheap grace. And a little bit different vein. Man, the law looks nice. It really does. We all have a little bit of a doubting Thomas in us. The law, the rules, at least was practical and tangible. I can touch it. I think it's easier to follow something and believe in something I can't see. It's not. It's, it's much harder to believe in something that I can't see. It puts me in control if I follow the rules. Following the leading of the Holy Spirit doesn't feel practical and tangible. 
as I think about the logical flaw and as I talk to people, what's, what's our problem? What, what would Paul be saying to us? Like, and I'm praying about it and thinking about it, and, and I'm looking at, at, at our social uh, media, and I'm looking at what's happening in our church, and I'm looking at this world, and I'm saying, God, like, help me understand. What are you saying through your word to us? I think the logical flaw that we is, what we're returning to, we found grace in Christ and we're returning to, is this idea of tribalism. Tribalism, we got a tribe, right? What's tribalism? I think the problem we have is we've chosen tribalism over trusting in the Spirit. Tribalism is like the same kind of behaviors and attitudes that stem from a strong loyalty to one's own group of people. There's these rules and regulations and thoughts and everything, and then if you belong to that tribe of people, you then derive some kind of sense of safety and security from knowing you're in the right box. I'm in this box because here's the rules and here's the box, and I'm in this box. And when everything's okay and there's no crisis, that's subtle. That flies under the surface. Most people don't notice that they have joined the tribe and that they put their faith in those rules. But when crisis comes, anything that threatens your tribe, your box, your rules must be attacked. And if that sounds a little familiar, you're seeing what's happening in our world today. We are a society motivated by cultural tribalism. And it's like the law. If you follow the rules, you'll be safe. But if it's against the rule, you have to attack it. And polarization that's happening in our churches and our politics and our world occurs because we have placed our tribe over Christ. We have devised our safety from our tribe over the Spirit. It's so prevalent that we as pastors, don't hear me, this is a negative, I accept that this is part of my reality, that we as pastors are no longer allowed to present the word of God from the unity and humility of the spirit and the word of God. No, before we even utter a word, it is assumed that it's coming from a place of either a liberal or a conservative agenda or a certain theological background. We're so consumed with the salvation of our tribe as individuals listening to messages of people trying to convey the word of God that we project onto others the tribe that they belong to. So if I know their tribe and their rules, then I can know whether I need to attack what they're saying or just receive it. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and poke at us, we have relied on our rules. Maybe some of them are unwritten. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting to listen for key words in messages to let you know where it's coming from, isn't it? It's exhausting. God wants to give us peace and the unity of the Spirit of God at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want for you today. I want for you to put it aside for a moment. So I, I'm going to invite everybody to close their eyes if they're comfortable. So close your eyes. I'm going to say some words and try to help you imagine a scene. If you're not comfortable doing this, you don't have to. But I want you to right now imagine you are at the foot of the cross and Jesus is on it. He's being crucified. You're in that moment where the sins of the world are on his shoulders and he is dying. He doesn't deserve it. He's dying for you. 
He's dying for me. He is in the process of purchasing your salvation. I want you to imagine what the wood might look like, what the look on his face might be, what's around you, what's the smells, what's the feeling. What, I want you to put yourself in that moment. I want you to look at Jesus. And now I, I want you to consider the things that are annoying you about other congregants or the church. And I want you to ask the question, do I even want to bring this up to him? Does it seem petty? Does it seem not important to the sacrifice that I'm observing? Am I relying on something other than this moment? We trade the security of the cross to belong to a tribe that makes us feel temporarily safe. The Galatians did it, and we do it. You can open your eyes. If tribalism is king, if tribalism is real inside of each of our hearts, then we shop for churches and we leave when we don't get our way. We look for ways to break ties based on how we feel and what makes us feel safe from a theological or political standpoint, or you name it. We say us and them, us and them, when all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't look as Christians for missions to join and be a part of. We become tribe jumpers, consumers of spiritual goods that fit our preferences. We even, because we're such consumers, call it church shopping. And if you're church shopping right now, you belong. We love you. Um, I would love to have a conversation. You're going to get exactly who we are every week. Uh, and we're a mess. We are a hot mess. <laughs> and we love Jesus. And if you want to be part of that, God help you. And if you are here and you've been here for a while and you're window shopping, commit. Dive into the mission Relentlessly pursue one more. Do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, and we'll figure it out together. But we're not going to say us and them. We're going to say with all humility and with mistakes made as leaders in this church that we, uh, we make mistakes. We're trying not to fall in this trap as leaders in the community and businesses and in the church. We're trying not to fall into this trap of making rules other than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and it is messy. And in pastors, I want you to know, we talk about this, we are not in competition like a business to gain new consumers, but teammates with the other churches in our community in the kingdom of God to empower people in the mission of transformation. That is what we fight for, and some days we get there. Some days we're tired, but all of us are nothing without Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Ephesians 4, 3 through 5. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit. Do you hear it? Unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. And just as you were called to one hope when you were called, remember, one hope, one, one. Jesus Christ and him crucified 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then we receive the Spirit inside of us. Father, forgive us. We've chosen tribalism over unity under the cross of Jesus Christ. We stood there and bickered while Jesus died for us about stupid things, foolish things. We've been hypnotized. We've forgotten the spirit of unity. May God grant us the opportunity to repair what we have broken. God, would you bless every church in this city and in beyond? God, would you bless every Christian in this area? We keep the bond of peace by not defining our relationship on whether we believe in the exact same little tribe, but on the unity of the Spirit. And I'm telling you, without the Spirit of God inside you, the one that says, I want you to be one as Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are one, I want you, y'all, all y'all, to be one. Without him, we are screwed I'm serious. That's a real, like sometimes the right word is the right word. Like we are in trouble. And there's a cost. Galatians 3, 4. Back to the word of God here. Hmm. Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain? He's saying, listen, if you go to this tribalism, everything you've experienced so far, all the suffering, all the sacrifices, everything you've done for Jesus could be in vain because you're returning to something that has nothing in it. And he's saying, is it in vain? Will you return? Will you return to what God is saying? If the Galatians abandon the grace of God and the spirit of God, all they have done will be in vain. All the pain that we have gone through as a church to go after discipleship and, and racial reconciliation and all of these things, all the pain of standing up for truth and anguish and all the pain that some of us experienced with the changes that are going on it, and all of a sudden, life, church, and what we imagined that box to look like, those, it's just getting torn down, and I'm not even sure where I'm at anymore, and I don't know, I'm confused. Like all that pain, all that turmoil, if we abandon unity in the spirit, it will mean nothing. If we just run away, it will be a loss. But if we are unified in the spirit, something will change. I, I think of Paul like those drill instructors, right? Had you lost the spirit, you better go find it. I'm going to help you find it. <laughs> Except the spirit, and frankly, the guy didn't have his brain and mind under a table anywhere. That wasn't the point. His point was, hey, wake up. Realize you have a brain inside of you and you can think. And Paul's saying, wake up. You have God inside of you and you can think. You can experience. You can encounter him. Return to it. Fiery rebuke. But instead of like shame, because the drill instructor, it was all about shame. He's not trying to shame the Galatians. He's trying to point them back to grace, to the Spirit of God, to prayer and submission. Verse 5. So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? We need to not just find the Holy Spirit, but recognize he's inside of us. But there is a seeking. See, we need to find what the Holy Spirit is doing. If he's binding us together in unity, if he's breaking all of this down for a reason, then we better find what he has doing. My question to you, have you asked what the Holy Spirit is doing? Could it be he is calling 
for revival? Could it be that he's preparing our youth to lead the church and be the change that we're struggling with? Could he be stirring up the church to embrace a new kingdom work? Could it be that we, like the Pharisees, could miss the, mood of, the move of God because the movement of the kingdom of God breaks down all the old systems that are there? Could it be that we could be so focused on our rules like the Pharisees that we completely miss what the Holy Spirit is doing? Could it be that we're missing it? I'm open to not being right. I don't really care about being right on good days. <laughs> and I will make mistakes as I follow the Holy Spirit, but I am not open to missing what he's doing. I'm not, and I hope you aren't either. So how am I going to, how is Paul, how are we going to help us find it? The Spirit again, first we need to look for it. So embrace the power of the Spirit. We say we're driven by new life. What that means is we celebrate what God is doing, the miracles of him showing up and doing things in your lives, the stories of people being healed, the stories of marriages being restored, the stories of people who've been prayed for for years and years and years and getting baptized and are now serving and greeting at the front door, the stories of the 13 people getting baptized a couple weeks ago, the, the, the salvations, it's a beautiful thing. The baptisms, 13, we baptized people, and the very next day, our little metal horse trough went to another church, and they baptized people in it. Isn't that cool? Like, that's just exciting. Like, it's not a nice baptismal. It's a literal horse trough. And yet, and yet, we get to share in that joy of a church in Detroit. That's beautiful. Child dedications last week. We went outside and the weather was perfect. And we had like, a, like 80 to 100 people show up who were all there for like six kids just dedicating to follow Jesus and praying. Like it was nuts. There were so many there. One family had 40 people from like Tennessee and Florida. And one person literally flew his plane in and not here, but like over at an airport. And like beautiful. Like, that's the Holy Spirit. So we fix our eyes on that. I encourage you to do this by attending Juneteenth. Juneteenth is June 19th. It's a Saturday. It's going to be here. You already heard about it at the beginning. But come. Why? To celebrate with those who are celebrating. To celebrate the fact that that, that day represents true freedom from slavery and the beginning of the journey we're still on for all people of color, but specifically black people who had been enslaved for centuries. Come celebrate. Come be joyful that God did that and is doing it, just like he has saved us and is saving us. I want to challenge every small group leader, especially the ones who are unsure about, about this whole thing, about racial stuff. Come, make your group come. Every ministry leader, come be part of it. Let's create community around vision and celebration of what Jesus has done. It's a positive thing. You can check out more information on the Now page. Then secondly, I want you to rest in the love of the Spirit. I want you to encounter Jesus, not just at the cross. I don't want that to be a shameful thing. I want that to be an experience of love that he would do that, but encounter him in prayer. 
focusing on the great love of God, that he would choose you and then restore you and make you strong. Another thing is getting in step with the Holy Spirit. Some of you haven't had a chance to really understand what that means, what that looks like. Encourage you to sign up for the life journey right now. All our courses are going to be running in the summer. And how they work in the summer is that once they have enough people, they start the course. So sign up now. Sign up on our now page to be part of and taught and learn in community about the Spirit. But I want to do it now. As we close, we're going to close with this. I want us to go through this exercise together. And it's a little small thing. It, it's, it's not a huge deal, but I want us to encounter Jesus. We can talk about it, but we need the unity of the Spirit. And so I'm going to encourage everybody to participate at whatever level you feel um, you are ready to do. There's going to be two groups of people. There's going to be people who aren't following Jesus and are not sure about this whole thing. I would love for you to participate as well. It's, we're all going to close our eyes so no one will be able to see. And then there's the group of us who need to repent of some tribalism and to let it go. So it's going to be a very simple exercise where I'm going to have you close your eyes in a second and imagine, put your hands out, and they can be low, they can be high. Some of you need lots of Jesus, so you'll put them above your head, and, and some of you don't know you need lots of Jesus, so you'll put them down here. Uh, but it's going to, your hands are going to be out for a while, so if you do this, you're going to be shaken by the end. So the, I just want you to put your hands out, and there'll be a moment where I tell you to flip them this way, okay? So thank you in advance for trying something that's a little bit maybe outside your comfort zone. And if you're here for the first time, I encourage you to try something. Take a little bit of a risk. And everybody close their eyes. There's two groups. I want you to imagine you're back at the cross again. And you're standing before Jesus. And you're holding your hands, palms down. The tribe of Jesus is one centered on the cross and focused on where the Holy Spirit is moving. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're going to take all the things that you find safety in that make you feel comfortable, the things that help you understand what tribe you belong to other than Christ, and I want you to bring them to mind. And as you experience one of them, I just want you to like have your hands closed and then imagine dropping it at the foot of the cross, just dropping. And I'm going to give you some prompts, but whatever the living God puts at your feet, at your, in your mind, just drop it. Maybe it's whether there's conservative or liberal. Maybe it's a, a tribe based on, on worship style, about programming, about anything you can think of in your family, where you live, your neighborhood. Maybe it's even in your color. Why don't you spend some time there and, and keep letting God speak to you. And I want to speak to those who aren't following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, it first takes leaving something on the floor. If you want to follow him and God's been prompting you in that moment, what you're going to drop out of your hands is your way of living life. The ways that you have, what you have put your trust in. In order to pick up and to receive from God new life and salvation and freedom, you've got to let some things go. And it's hard. But if you can imagine putting into your hand for a moment and dropping your control your way, I encourage you to do that. And those who need to stay there through all of worship and just keep dropping things, stay there. But if you're ready, flip your hands over like you're going to receive something from God, that you're going to receive something. And the first thing I want to pray over us 
is that you would receive the Holy Spirit, that you would become aware of the Spirit inside of you. Pray that that would wash over you, even if it might be a sensation. And then I want you to receive the fact that you are loved by God. You, not just a collective group of people, but you. You are loved, no matter what your past is. No matter what you have done, you are loved and you are chosen. You've been chosen by God to take all that brokenness and make it new, but to do incredible things, to be a vessel of love for others. For those who want to follow Jesus, all those things are true. But the one thing you need more than anything else in this moment is to accept that you need a Savior you need Jesus. You might say something like this out loud or in your heart, but have your hands open receiving. Just say something like this. God, I have left everything behind to the best of my ability. I receive your new way. I receive new life and I receive you. tell a story, but if you're still in this moment, you stay there as long as you need. As long as you need. We're going to go into worship in a moment, and Jared's going to say something real quick before worship. You stay there as long as you need. Encounter Jesus. When I first came up here, I went outside, and um, I was near a woods, near the highway, and uh, I saw this deer laying down, and me being me, I went to go investigate. And when I came up on this deer, it got up on wobbly legs, and I realized something was really wrong. And in fact, had tire tracks up the center of his body. It had been run over on the freeway. I made eye contact with this deer, and then it limped into the woods, and I don't know what happened to it. And I got this feeling from God where he's saying, my church is hurting. It's been hit. It's dying. And I'm going. I'm going to save it. And this week, while I was running this beautiful weather, out of the woods, this young buck came and stopped and looked at me, and I was as close as to this front row, and it made eye contact with me, and then it went bounding off into the forest with these tiny little horns, and there was just life and vibrancy and joy. And God said to me, see, I am doing a new thing. Whatever turmoil you're going through, Whatever you're struggling with, even if it's because of me or this place or because of this world, God always does new things through the Spirit of God. God, I pray that you would teach us how to love your presence more than anything else in the world. We pray that you would be with us in this moment. Well, again, thank you so much for listening to this message. Uh, We do pray that it touched you in some specific way, um, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, Um, especially as we've been looking at this letter to the Galatians. There's a significant theme of God's grace in our lives. And um, if you're experiencing that, we would love to know about it. So like I said at the beginning of the podcast, go ahead and go to our now page. Click on that connect card. Fill out just a little bit of information about yourself so we can help you take your next steps. 
And if you need prayer for anything, uh, write that down and let us know. Uh, we will be praying for you. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God's spirit is the, the spirit of God that we can trust and that is absolutely involved in our lives, um, individually and collectively. So have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you back here real soon.